Amen. Romans 6, verse number uh, 14, will start out. The Bible says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, but ye are not under the law, but under grace. And, and Paul's legal argumentation, he's bringing out a contrast between sin's dominion and then the reign of grace. We looked at that last week. And God's grace grants us full pardon, so we are not under the law. All of our debt has been paid for. And just a little side, we're not going to chase this rabbit too far. But just remember, doctrinally speaking, we never, as Gentiles, we were never under the law anyway. Now, we have a law written in our hearts where we know that we are sinners before God. And we know that God gave us a conscience. But that Mosaic law wasn't for us. It was for uh, that nation. But nonetheless, we have been given a new piece of property, uh, not a national piece of property where when Jews obeyed, their land was blessed. We now, we now, that the, the, the property of sin is now condemned and now we are alive unto God to live for him. And this is what Romans 6 is really about. And so now when we walk, we walk free in what land? The land of liberty. That's where we as Christians are called to walk. And guess what? In the land of God's grace, we are not to sin. God has not called us for a life of sin. He saved us out of a life of sin. And it's interesting to me, especially as I can look back in hindsight as how the Lord has drawn me and how far that he has taken me. And it does continue to amaze me that when I look back at my life and now I look at say uh, unsaved people, their lives in this world, how it wasn't, it was never a chore for me as a lost person to sin. I just did it and lost people just do it. But somehow now this new style of Christianity that really isn't Christianity tries to convince people that if you preach against sin, that's somehow a bad thing. No, that's a good thing. In other words, as Christians, before we were saved, we were excited to sin. And now, now that we're Christians and we're saved, we should be excited to not sin, right? This idea, we're just saved by grace and now grace will just cover it. And so we'll just go out and sin. It's a, it's a, it's a fallacy. It's not true. Watch what it says in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. In other words, that's a horrible argument to use as an excuse for sin. We need to call sin, sin. What has happened is this world has gotten away from biblical terms. It's uh, an alternative lifestyle is what it's called. The Bible says they're reprobates, okay? Uh, people, uh, this lost and dying world says, well, we'll just call it an escort service. No, they're called, the Bible calls them whores. We've gotten away from using biblical language because we're afraid to offend. It's not an LBGTQ crowd. The Bible calls them sodomites. Sin is a horrible thing. I'm tired of seeing advertisements and coupons and everything that the billboards put out 
about adult beverages. No, it's strong drink. And it will hurt you. Sin is what we serve. And by the way, it's called strong drink for a reason. Because it's so strong that it will get you tied up and bound. That's why we as Christians stay away from it. Young people, you don't even look at the advertisements. They make it look glossy and nice and glamorous to appeal to your fleshly senses. But if you want to see what liquor does to you, you just look at the homeless people that got nowhere to go. That's what strong drink and drugs and alcohol does to you. You don't want to end up there. This society has gotten away, and may, and, and may I dare say, a lot of the so-called evangelical community has gotten away from calling sin, sin. And when you look out at this world, we have to stop thinking that people, well, they're just having a bad day. No, they're wicked sinners, just like you and I were wicked sinners, and they're on their way to hell. And we are either going to be used by God and yield our members as servants of righteousness or not. We all have bad days. But before you were saved, you weren't just having a few bad days. You were a vile, wretched sinner with a heart as dark and, it's, and as soaked with sin as it could be. Somebody gave you a gospel track. Somebody sat you down and said, hey, we got to talk. You turned on something on some device and some preacher said the wages of sin is death. Something happened where God was using a vessel to get truth into your ears, into your mind, and drop into your heart. Verse 16. Because this question comes up, does not under the law mean that I'm just not under any control? Watch what it says. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Which one's it going to be? We've got a new master, one who fulfilled the law, one who kept all the law. You can't think of a better way to kind of be in fulfillment of the law. I mean, you were in Christ. He fulfilled all the law. But think of it this way You've got law And you've got liberty And so this argument in Romans 6 is So we just, since we're grace Why don't we just sin more so that we can have grace abound more And address that, that, that doesn't make sense But there's three If you think about it, there's three types of dogs How many of you have a dog? Or have had a dog? There really are three types of dogs You've got one dog that's just wild and unrestrained and that dog just runs around town and just causes chaos. That's the dog that's got liberty without law. That's one type of dog. You know another type of dog you got? You got a dog where he's got a, a training collar and a leash. And then a master 
holding that dog and restraining that dog because he's got a leash and a collar. You know what we call that? Law without liberty. That dog's got law and he's obeying because there's law and there's restraint. And guess what? They don't have liberty because he tries to run away. That master's got that dog. That's the second type of dog. But there's a third type of dog. There's a third type of dog. Where the bond is so close. Where that dog's master can take off that leash and take off that collar. And that dog is going to stay right near the master. The dog goes this. The master goes this way. The dog goes this way. Master turns around and goes this way. The dog goes with. Now, some years back, I had some opportunity to uh, watch and train dog trainers. And you see this in action. It's a beautiful thing. No leash. No collar. But the bond is so tight between the master and that dog. You know what that, you know what we call that? That's a beautiful picture of liberty with law. And you know what we have? As Christians, our bond and our union should be so close to Christ that wherever he goes, we go. It's liberty with law. It's not do as we want. No, that's the dog that needs the collar and needs the leash and needs to be restrained. That's law with no liberty. That dog has found all the freedom that he or she needs without any change. And you know what we have in Christ? All the freedom that we need. And just like that dog stays close to the master, guess what we are called to do? Stay close to our master. We are free from the law. We're under a higher law. It's a bond and a union with Jesus Christ. We do not have liberty to do as we please and follow after the sins of our flesh. We do have liberty to enter into a new type of service for the one who gave his life for us, for the one who paid our sin debt. Praise God for that. Saying to myself, as well as all the parents, which one do we want for our child? I'm going to bet that there's no parent here that is just going to let their child run around unrestrained and wild in the neighborhood. Right? That's a good. Amen. That's amen. We're not doing that. However, we need to be careful that we're not like the example of the second dog and master. We put a leash around their neck. Or we put a collar around their neck. We put a leash on the collar. And we restrain them. And they are not running around unrestrained. And that's the end of it. Why is that a problem? Well, it isn't a problem when they're two, because that's why we put the safety gate, because 
you know, they're just going to fall over and hurt themselves. They don't know any better. But if all of we do, if all we do is put collars and chains on our children, and at sixteen or seventeen or eighteen, we take those collars and chains off, and they go out and run wild, what was the only thing that controlled them? You and the collars and chains you put on. It must be a new law. It must be. Son or daughter, I'm going, to put, I'm going to put this collar, I'm going to put this leash, I'm going to put this law or this rule in place because I want to protect you. I don't want you to get hurt. I know this is wrong, but at the same time, there has to be, look, here's why it's wrong. I want you to understand this. Look, I love you. This is why I'm doing it. And you can take it off and they just don't run unrestrained. The union actually becomes closer and tighter. Because it's based on love and grace. Not thou shalt and, not, and thou shalt not. Does that make sense? I'm not going to beg or fish for amens. I'm just saying that that's a good place to say amen. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not trying to be condescending or mean. I, my heart longs for Christians and myself to have such a union with Christ that we don't need another thou shalt or thou shalt not. I'm excited to get back home. I'm excited to get back with my church family. I'm excited to do out, go out and do things for the Lord. The same way I was excited to do the things of the world. Before salvation. And nobody put a chain on me and dragged me out to go sin. <laughs> we signed up for it. And that's a place to say, ouch. We signed up for it. This really is beautifully displayed in Moses and, and in Egypt. Moses said unto, uh, unto Pharaoh, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, let my people go that they may serve me. He didn't say thou must. He said thou may. And when you get saved, you know what you may do? Serve Christ. You may do that. God offered them escape from the bondage of Egypt, all of the demands, all of the afflictions that came from taskmasters. Masters, you all know the story. In exchange, God gave them the liberty and the freedom to live in bondage to his love and grace. <laughs> what do you want? You're going to serve something and someone. I'd rather be in bondage to God's love and God's grace and be in a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the Christian life. That's it. We have to stop thinking. Or never start thinking this idea, well, we can just do as we like because it's all the same in the end. Look, we're just saved by grace. That's faulty Christian thinking. The Bible says in John 8, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Do you want to serve sin or do you want to serve Christ? 
You can be in church every time the doors are open. Derek put this beautifully this morning. But if your heart longs to sin, as soon as you go out those doors, you're going to find the dance hall. You're going to find the saloon. You're going to find the place to do what you ought not do. You'll, you'll find it. That's not what God has in store for us as Christians. All right, let's look at the next verse. Romans 6, verse 17. It says, but God be thanked, Romans 6, verse 17, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart. It's not a head matter. It's a heart matter. That form of doctrine which was delivered you. Doctrine matters. This is why we go verse by verse through the Bible. This is why we have a doctrinal statement. This is why we teach and we take a stance on different doctrinal positions because it matters. The modern church says doctrine matters so much that it divides people. So instead of dividing people, let's just throw away doctrine and keep people united. And you end up with the United Methodist Church. You end up with some church that's trying to be a church and calling themselves an adjective rather than a church. Catalyst. (laughs) Journey. Do you understand that it is by design that they're taking denominations out of church names? It sounds like a new car, part of a new car lineup. You know, Ford Escape, <laughs> Ford Catalyst. Yeah, it, it, it is by design because they don't want to teach doctrine. It'll just divide people. So let's just all agree that we're saved by grace. We can live how we want. And we really don't care what your take is on end times. We don't care what you if you think that that's sin or not sin. That's a dangerous place to be as a nation. And this idea that we're just going to keep pointing to political leaders and keep pointing to what the world's doing as a society and saying we need to clean that up. I believe it's a distraction. The church at large has dropped the ball. And the leaders in the pulpits and the leaders in the pews And the church members themselves need to take back some reins of control and say, you know what? We're not going to live like that. Doctrine matters. I am going to obey the form of doctrine, which I've heard. So I said all that to say, this is why we teach doctrine. And we're not saying that Look, we're right and everybody else is wrong. We're saying that it matters. And if there's a disagreement, okay, let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. If there's some other verses that need to come in and get the context of that, okay, let's do that. You know what that said? You know what that mindset says? It says that, okay, I'm interested. The doctor does matter to me. I want to get this right. Okay. Not a servant of sin, righteousness. Is the new law you serve. Serve things that are right. 
And in verse number 18, it says, watch, Romans 6, 18, but then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Look at Luke 16. Let's go there. Luke 16, verse 13. Uh, let's start at verse number 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Pretty basic principle. Every, every company understands that. New employee comes on, he's faithful in a little bit, give him a little bit more. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in the much. You can't take care of one little thing. Chances are you're going to mess up. Something bigger. Verse 11, therefore, you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon. Who will commit to your trust the true riches? You're lying and cheating and in the world with money. It's just the snowball effect. If you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Now, here's the verse. No servant. Can serve two masters. At the beginning of verse 13. No servant. You know what that tells me? That we're all servants. We all serve something or someone. Or some things and someone. And God says here. You can't be split. You can't serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, I know how much things cost in the world, partly because I bought them <laughs> and partly because I am still a business owner and I started a business young and I know how much things cost for businesses because I've spent money on that. People said to me, you know, I said, brother Jimmy, you know, are you sure you want to step out and do what what you're saying you want to do because you're going to be taking some steps backwards. A lot of people viewed it that way. Not with malice in their heart, just with concern in their heart. But I never viewed it that way. And I'll tell you why I never viewed it that way. Because I'm just so sick and tired of the world. And I get frustrated and I'm, I'm sick to my stomach over the thought when I think about, think about this. It's, it's convicting to me. I, I'm not sure if it's convicting to you or if you're hearing it for the first time. But it, it's, it's still convicting to me. I would spend good money investing in things for things down here. Why wouldn't I say, spend the same amount of time, the same amount of effort, the same amount of money in something that's eternal? Why wouldn't I? And that's the question I want to ask Christians this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. You have used mammon to serve the pleasures of, that you have in your life. 
Some you need, some you don't need, some you want, some you don't want. Not talking about needs and want. What I'm talking about is taking that contrast. You're going to serve Christ. Can you invest in spiritual things? We're going to serve one or we're going to serve the other. You're going to be split to try to serve two masters. And it's not going to work. But God raises up servants. And in Romans 6, it's obedience unto righteousness. He wants servants to obey. Not because they're going to get yanked with the chain, but because the bond is so close, they want to walk to him, close to him. I don't know if people think this or not. Because I often repeat the same things. And, and fathers, you probably can relate to this. Because if you're like me, you've said to your child or your grandchild, did I tell you that like 15 times already? <laughs> and I know that I do repeat the same things often. Maybe that's part of hitting 52. I don't know. You're not going to be able to witness for people in heaven. Witness to people when you're in heaven. You, we can only do that here. So that's why we, we're, we're dialing that. We're, we're doubling down on that emphasis. The other thing. I don't want to look the Lord Jesus Christ in the face. And have regret saying, thinking to myself. I wish I would have served you more Lord. I wish I would have served you more when I was down here. I'm not saying quit your job and just stand downtown preaching for 24 hours a day. I'm saying keep your job, provide for your family, spend time with your children. Don't neglect them. Love your wife. Put time and effort into her. Wives do the same. Do all of that, but don't do it all at the expense of putting God's service to the side. Because if we do that, you know what becomes the idol? Our spouse, our family, our work, our mammon. We should be obedience to righteousness. Serving Christ. Second Peter 2. We'll start to wind down. Second Peter chapter two, verse number one. Bible says in second Peter two, one, but there were false prophets. We need to be aware of this. Talked about a little bit earlier. Also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift Destruction. How do we turn into a nation where you have to spend time searching in a town for a church that's going to do some evangelistic efforts? Verse number one is why. 
because very privily, damnable heresies come in. And when damnable heresies come in, you know what goes out? Good music, expositional Bible preaching and teaching, and evangelism. And you know what it's replaced with? Let's give everybody a free bottled water and a gas card. And that'll get them to church. In my boat, the one I'm rowing, and the one I want you to get in and help me row with, because if we all row together, we can get a lot farther. To me, that's a damnable heresy. To take out the main thing, which is the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you run, you read all through the Old Testament, you look, read through all the book of Acts, every single prophet of God, every single account in the book of Acts, they're all out in the public declaring Jesus Christ and him crucified. We must do the same. If it's from a hat that says Jesus saves to a t-shirt that says trust Christ to a bumper sticker on your truck that says you must be born again, it has to be, it has to be out in public. That is how we obey the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't let, allow damnable heresies come in. Once the evangelism stops, the church is done. Once it stops. Second Peter 2 verse 19. While they promised them liberty. We're talking about that law of liberty thing. <laughs> I'm going to give you liberty. I'm going to give you liberty. I'm going to give you liberty. That's the deception. They themselves are servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same, he is brought in bondage. This idea of liberty, liberty, liberty with no law is a misnomer. I've got the law of Christ, his love, his grace. I'm happy to be in bondage to that. Wherever he goes, I want to go. Now, some of you might have a dog or, a, or another type of animal that you don't want anything to do with you. That bond's not there. Do you want to have something to do with God? I hope you do. Sinning is not normal for Christians. Christ came to free us from sin. He doesn't want sin to reign in our life. Jesus said, go and sin no more. You read the account of Sodom and Gomorrah. The whole place was destroyed because of sin. One more stop. And we'll be done. First John. Because it's not when we sin. It's. Well we'll get there and read it. First John chapter number one. Watch it says. First John one verse number eight. First John one verse number eight. When we say. That we have no sin. But it doesn't say when we say. What does it say? If. Notice the word if. If we say. In other words, it's not when we say, it's if we say. It's not normal for Christians to sin. It's not normal for saved people to sin. Look at verse number nine. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. No. If we confess our sins, it is not normal for Christians to hold it. It's what is normal. What I'm saying, what is normal is that if you have sin in your life, you confess it to God. That's what's normal. That's what's expected. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
when we say that we have no, it's if we say we have not sinned. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. You're going to battle your flesh every time. It better be if we say. Don't say that. It's not normal for a Christian to say that. First John chapter 2, look at verse 1. <laughs> uh, my little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. Young people this morning, if your daddy or mama says, I'd like you to set the table. And you say, well, can I do it when I'm. That's not cute. That's sin. Why is it sin? Well, I never killed anybody. I stop justifying yourself. You know why it's sin? Because you disobeyed. What mom or dad asked you to do. It's the same thing with us as adults with God. We're children of God. He says, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Okay, we got that. And when any man sin. No. The expectation from God isn't that we sin. It's if any man sin. If you do it. God does not want you to do it. It's not normal. Sin is not normal for a Christian. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And praise his holy name for it. What am, I what am I trying to tell you? 1 John 3, verse number 9. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. 1 John 3, verse 9. Here, here, here's the point. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to tell you. It is not normal for Christians, save people to sin. In Matthew 6, you know what Jesus said? When ye fast. In Luke 11, you know what Jesus said? When ye pray. You know what's normal for you and I to do? Fast, pray. It doesn't... The implied expectation isn't if we should pray. It is when we should pray. Jesus in Luke 11, the implied implication isn't if we should fast. It's not if we should pray. The implication is that we should do it. It's implied that when do it. That is what Christians ought to do. We need to stop serving sin, stop justifying sin, stop redefining words so we can make it a little bit lighter and not call it sin. You have something that's entirely unique from anything else that's out there. Entirely unique. Light has shined in our hearts. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Galatians 2 says, we all know this. It says that Christ liveth in me. Galatians 4 says, Christ be formed in you. You and I, as born-again believers, have something that no one else has. No other faith system has. No other philosophy has. God himself indwelt in us. God. And if Christ be in you, is he in you? Did you trust him? He's in you. The body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of what? Righteousness. Do not sin. 
law with liberty. The law of God's love and God's grace. And our union is so Christ, it's so Christ-centered. We're in such union with him that all we want to do is stay as close as we can to our master. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Let's pray.